0: But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast.
1: Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score.
0: Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Hey, wherever you are, however you're listening... Welcome to America's talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by co-host Matt Cummings and, from his podcast, Doing the Work, our guest, Mathen Black. We're live on 89.3 FM, WNUR-FM, Evanston, Chicago. Now, look, you want your voice heard, right? 847-866-WNUR is our number in studio. What's your opinion, On what we're talking about tonight, call us on the air, 847-866-9687. We're also streaming live on WNUR.org slash pop-up. And, you know, we have a pretty free-form show tonight, so it's a great time for you to get on our show, 847-866-WNUR. And you are. Well, it's that time of year again. Gruesome masks, screams of horror, death by chocolate. It's National Opera Week. A special welcome to all our listeners who are supporters of Opera America, the nation's umbrella organization for the creation, presentation, and enjoyment of opera. All right, tonight... Cummings, Mathen, and I get ready for Halloween. We share some horror stories from our time in the opera biz. We'll listen to some spooky opera excerpts, and we'll examine a few terrifying news items from the past week in opera land. I might even do the thriller dance during a PSA break. What would you say to that,
2: Matt? Seems like that would be a special treat just for us, George. that make you puke in your mouth a little? I can neither confirm nor deny.
0: Mathen Black on the show... Hi, everybody. What's what's your um, what's your favorite Halloween costume, Mathen, that you've worn in your time, in your forty-three years of Halloweening?
3: You know, I'm not the biggest of Halloween people when it comes to stuff, but I, I do have a good uh, a good soft spot in my heart for dressing up like a lumberjack. It's very easy. <laughs> it allows me to keep the, the luscious beard that I normally like to keep on my face. Um, and, you know, you get to wear flannel, put a hat on, put a vest on that you bought at a thrift store somewhere and act like it's the 80s again. Gummings, when you were
0: trick-or-treating out there in Pittsburgh, did it rain every Halloween?
2: Not every Halloween, but I definitely remember snow one year. So, you know... You never know what you're going to get in we, cities like yeah, that. We
0: had some we had some snowy Halloween's in Michigan as well. I think my my low light for a Halloween costume was the year that I went as a domino.
2: <laughs> oh, I did that two years ago. How as did a, you do that? You just tape white circles onto black clothing and you pretend that you're creative.
3: So it's like a slightly lazier version of the three hole punch version of Jim from the Office, right? Everyone's. Okay constant
2: backup costume, just in case they can't think of something else.
0: Mine was like an 8-year-old George-sized cardboard box, so essentially a shoebox, and the problem was I couldn't bend my knees, so I could neither walk around the neighborhood nor step up onto a step to get candy. It's clearly... Halted my best for costume
2: life. for sure was when I went to spaghetti and meatballs and we took <laughs> we took apart a mop head and hot glued it onto a red sweatsuit and I wore a colander as a hat. I
3: was going to say, pull your pants up, dude. <laughs> I should say, if we're if we're going back to childhood costumes, um, George, I don't know that I've ever told you this, but you know, do you know that my parents are like huge fans of this show?
0: I had no idea.
3: My father loves listening to this podcast, especially when I'm on, which is always a fun thing. But so they're listening live tonight. From Oklahoma. So I have to give a shout out to my mother. When we were young, she would make uh costumes for my brother and I. And my favorite thing that she ever made for us was we had purple dinosaur onesies <laughs> that had hoods and like it's sort of like stegosaurus spines on the back with big green splotches all over them. There are still pictures of me somewhere in my parents' house with my brother looking like that.
0: I don't think I can ever unsee that image. Now,
3: <laughs> but <so>. I would <laughs> like to see the pictures.
2: <laughs> Let's talk some
0: opera.
1: Chock talk. On Opera Box Score.
0: Purple Dinosaur Onesie. You heard it here first. Hey, it's Opera Box Score, WNUR 89.3 FM, George Cedarquist here with my co-host Matt Cummings and our guest, Math and Black, talking about opera horror stories, spooky opera excerpts, and some terrifying news as well. Cummings, you're going to get it going on. What is your opera horror
2: story? So my horror story is related pretty closely to me as a singer, as an actor, and as a human being. I am not what people would usually call graceful. I tend to fall down a lot. And actually, that's not true. I tend to trip a lot, but I never fall down. Uh, And also, when I'm on stage, I often get cast as, like, wacky character characters who have to run around and be really high energy, and I think that's really fun and great. But sometimes, the set design makes it really scary. And I did a show a couple years ago where we had a big pit uh, that we called the Pit of Death that was in between the main... (laughs) platform. I mean, stage crew called it Pit of Death. We didn't make it up. Okay. But it was in between the main platform and uh an inclined ramp, and for my final appearance in the opera, I had to run down the ramp around the pit and land center stage while singing a high note and every single night. Both I and every single person in the cast was terrified that I was going to trip and fall into the Pit <laughs> of Death. But you know what? I never did. <laughs>
0: Comic gold, man. Yeah, you know, I, I love a good raked stage. Mm-hmm. I really do. The singer singers hate them. And there's all these rules and regs about, like, angles of attack and, like, feet... It horizontal versus... there. There's an equation, basically, that you have to kind of calculate, but I've seen some pretty steep rakes in my time. They're great because it lets the audience see the deck of the stage, yeah. even if they're sitting on a level playing surface. What was the venue?
2: Uh, it went? was in Con Auditorium. Okay, it was here at Northwestern. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay, okay. Nasty. And yet, you never tripped.
2: I never did. Someone did, actually, on the last performance, Trip and Fall into oh, the Pit of Death. Uh, which was... You know? So, at least the... At least it wasn't me, is really what I have to say
0: there. I was in a production of Spring Awakening. This is the play, the Frank uh, Wittekin play, not the rock musical, and this was in college. And the set was a series of platforms of varying heights. The tallest was maybe like, I don't know, 10 feet off the ground, and none of them had railings. Now, there was a transition in the show where... The cast were standing on all these different platforms looking suitably sort of aggravated and horny, which is what the show's about. (laughs) Blackout, and everyone was supposed to, like, go down these escape stairs off the platforms, which also had no railings. And lo and behold, in one of those blackouts, this actress fell from the top platform.
3: Oh, that's rough.
0: In a blackout. And, oh my lord, the screams. You could hear the screams all the way down to New York City. My... School I went to was on the East Coast. And so the director was in the house and he was like, lights, lights, we turn on. And this, this girl's like wrist was just popping straight out of her. Uh, <laughs> that's
3: rough. I, I have been fortunate enough to never witness like anyone falling into the pit. Although yeah. in my masters, when I was at Wichita State, we did uh, Kurt Vile's Street Scene, okay. and in Street Scene, oh, uh, yeah. Buchanan has uh, our Buchanan was carrying a bag of oranges across the stage while he was singing uh, his aria, and he he would always like trip and fall and have the oranges go everywhere, which is kind of a funny gag. Yeah. And one night, one of the oranges just kept rolling, fell into the pit, and went straight into a tuba. (laughs) I bet the tubist
2: loved that. It was great.
0: And that orange juice was so delicious (laughs) afterwards. Uh, Hey, let's get some music going on. Mathen, what is one of your spooky music selections for tonight on Halloween Eve?
3: I always love it when we get to talk about spooky, scary things in opera. It's weird, because if you think about operas themselves that are totally scary there's not a lot of those there are a few but lots of operas have really terrifying moments in them and one of my f- absolute favorite scary moments in opera is the wolf's glen scene from der Freischütz by carl marie von weber the the plot is very convoluted and i won't talk you through the whole thing but in this specific scene Two men go into the wolf's clan, which is this like dark, mysterious, occultic part of the the Black Forest in Germany, and summon a demon to help them forge magic bullets that cannot miss. <laughs> Schütze, die im Dunkeln wacht. Samiel, Samiel, hab acht. Steh mir bei in dieser Nacht, bis der Zauber ist vollbracht. Salbe mir so Kraut als Blei. Segne sieben, neun und drei, dass die Kugel tüchtig sei. Samuel, Samuel, herby!
0: Comedy ensues, right? (laughs)
3: I love this scene so much, and the the music is very descriptive of the actions happening, and you can hear all the effects that they get to do with the voice, and there's something inherently creepy about spoken rhyming German language, which is always awesome. Or really any spoken (laughs) German language. Absolutely. But this scene is also sort of a showpiece for, for what's happening in terms of stage direction. You could hear rustlings and creakings, because at this point, every time he says a number and makes a bullet, people are like throwing skeletons across the stage, or at one point in this one, they roll like old old wheels that have spokes with skeleton bones through them a giant spider comes down it's just uh, it's just perfect and really unsettlingly creepy
0: uh, it's, it's so true though like whenever when somebody he yells in german it's just like automatically terrifying mm-hmm. basically it's like oh my god
2: <laughs> i really feel like that's part of the reason why Der Freischütz is like that one opera that never gets done outside no. of Germany, but Germans
0: absolutely love it. Love they it. go bonkers absolutely. for it. Mm-hmm. They really do. And it's, I got into a big thing with Oliver about this. And he was like, oh, yeah, it's done in America all the time. I was like, what are you talking about? Who and man? where? No, no, absolutely wrong. Hey, it's Opera Box score on W, and you are, it's our Halloween spooktacular George Cedarquist. Matt Cummings, Math in Black, listening to some spooky Halloween music. And we got a couple selections coming up over the course of this show. Right now, it's time for Cummings to pick his
2: first. Sure thing. My pick number one comes from one of my favorite operas of all time. And probably my favorite English language opera, which is from Peter Grimes. And this comes from the end of the second act, where all of the townspeople are finally getting their aggression towards Peter Grimes to a fever pitch and are forming a mob and this is the uh, the second half of the big chorus that they all sing together when they're going to go run him out of town because they because his apprentice has washed up or has gone missing again Mr. Foy, Mr. Foy, Mr. Foy. Mr. Foy.
0: show that is, oh, it's on my bucket list.
2: Oh, and they're just about to all just scream Peter Grimes. <laughs> 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 Which I highly recommend listening to that whole chorus because we couldn't fit it on, but it yeah. is incredible. That
3: music is spectacular. And Britain is a master of unsettling tonalities. I remember doing research on uh, Billy Button Turn of the Screw, and he, he um. He subscribed to the, the doctrine of affections from the 17th century, and so he would put things in different keys to evoke different emotions. So if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken, the female theme in that is in A major, which is one of his big, like, purity and beauty. But then he unsettles it with the horns and the gentleman, and it just feels
2: wrong. And it sounds like big ocean waves crashing on top of the rocks, too, which is funny that its Oh, well, it's not funny. It's amazing how he takes theory and makes it sound like sound effects, like film music.
0: The music is just brutal, you know? It's a trumpet player's dream, being a trumpet player. It's just like, I want to play that music, and it is. That whole story, that whole show is just absolutely brutal. There was this production that was done on a beach. Uh, Tim Aubrey was the director. It was done, I th- oh gosh, I'm going to say it was done on the beach in Aldborough where... Uh, Britain grew
3: up. It was. I remember this being a big deal. Yeah. The visuals were insane.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the I met one of the assistant directors on the show and like there was this people were mic'd and there was like delay on speakers and the whole like processed recorded acoustic was as complex as anything else. So, Peter Grimes I'd love to see that. Hey, we have a lot more music coming up for you on the show after the break. It's a terrifying Tail and some more spooky opera excerpts and it's the OBS Halloween Spooktacular only on WNUR 89.3 FM
1: Live from Chicago you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this.
0: Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Whether you're allergic to opera or you're a devoted fan, our show is for you. We tackle the week's opera headlines and body slam them into a sports radio setup. The result 60 minutes of play by play analysis, exclusive interviews, and scandalous opinions, plus the heroes, villains, and stats from this crazy art form that we love and love to complain about. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR.
1: This is Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, and oh yeah, Matt Cummings. Now all the way from down south, Matt and Black.
0: <laughs> <Run up.
1: laughs>
0: Thanks, Norm. Norm's got your back.
3: I love Norm.
0: Good old Norm Waddell. He was just in Egypt on a cruise. What was why? Yeah, he went on a cruise up the Nile, so that's south, going south on the Nile to Upper Egypt to Luxor and it was it was a he just told me these crazy stories about it. It was really cool. Hey, we don't have a 2-minute drill this week on Opera Box Score. Number in the studio though, 847 866 9687. Tell us some of your Halloween spook stories from rehearsal. Tell us some of your favorite spooky music to listen to. It would help if it was opera. I was thinking of Dance Macabre by Camille Sasson, which Mm -hmm. I learned about in elementary school. It's not really opera, I suppose. Here's an article from the New York Daily News. Link on our website, operaboxscore.com. Noose found at Metropolitan Opera prompts police investigation into possible hate crime. Uh, Dateline was last week. A musician at the Met found a noose hanging from a locker room pipe, and cops are investigating it as a possible hate crime. Uh, this was right before a performance of Turned was set to begin. A security guard called the police. The musician who found the news is white. Police are trying to determine if it was meant to intimidate or target blacks or anyone in particular. Quote, this is a very disturbing incident for the members of the company. And if it was a deliberate act of racial hate, we'd like to find out as soon as possible to help guide our next steps, said a Met spokesman.
2: Is this just like bizarre? That's just bunkers. I I I just don't understand what else it could possibly mean. For I mean they're I they I understand they've got to be uh they have to they have to be very diplomatic in their statements because they don't have all the facts and that's right. always better than mm-hmm. coming right. back afterwards, but I, if it's supposed to be something else I am very interested to know.
3: It's just like something out of a Stanley Kubrick film. Yeah, it's just a bizarre, out of place, unsettling image, which is terrifying.
0: I mean, the thing is, I don't know if you guys have been backstage at the Met or through the stage door, but like, you have to show an ID. It's the Met; they're not going to let you in without an ID. So there's no like, there's no way into the inner sanctum without some sort of credentials. So then, who did it? What did it? If it's a, a thing of uh, racial hate, which is, it's, I'm not saying it's not. I'm not saying it is. It's clearly not clear, like, who was intended to find it. Obviously, the noose is emblematic of lynching, but it has other associations as well. Um, and they- the it's in the week before Halloween. So, like, is that coincidence or not?
2: But it's definitely even creepier that the call is coming from inside the house. Oh, you know? yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely.
3: You don't think it's James Levine just running around practicing knot tying?
0: It's possible. It's very, very possible. Or maybe they just really hated that production of Turn Dot. I know I did. But, I mean, I'm not.
2: (laughs) Back in 1980 when it premiered for the first time or whatever. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, You know, uh, my son, he's gotten recently into Cat's Cradle. Okay. The, the, Mm -hmm. The string game, not the death metal band. And, and also
2: not cats, the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. That's Although correct. all of those other things are fine.
0: <laughs> uh, but he doesn't know how to tie a noose. Although there's a cat's cradle trick you can do where you wrap the rope around your neck and then you do stuff with your fingers and then you pull the string off your neck and it doesn't choke you. It's it's like you're setting yourself up to choke yourself and then it's a trick.
3: So are you worried about Ben getting a letter from Hogwarts accepting him as a wizard?
0: Well he has been listening to a lot of Harry Potter recently. Mm. So I, I am worried about that. It's Opera Boxcore W and you are talking about spooky Halloweeny opera stories with Matt Cummings and the man who put Weenie in Halloweeny, Math in Black. <laughs> you had a story to share, a crazy Halloween story about a famous Bass baritone.
3: A famous bass baritone? Dmitry Vorostovsky. Who is absolutely a lyric baritone, nowhere near a bass baritone, George Cedarquist.
0: That was before he got sick. What's What's the story? <laughs>
3: Uh, so I don't know if any of you guys listening out there keep track of Dmitry Vorostovsky on social media. If any of you are major fanboys such as myself, then you do. And there was this very strange occurrence that happened, what was this, last week, the week before, a few days ago? I think it was two or two, three weeks ago. Two or three weeks ago, right. So it's been a little while now. I uh, did not find this on social media. One of my very good friends, Ross Crean, who's this amazing composer here in the city, texts me very early in the morning and says, Mathen, Oh my gosh, Dmitry Vorostovsky died. And I go, No! And immediately I'm scouring the internet and seeing this outpouring of all of this stuff on Facebook about people talking about Dmitry Vorostovsky passing away and he's no longer with us. And very soon after, his wife got on Facebook and said, Nah, bro, he's cool. He's sleeping right next to me.
0: <laughs> I just, I wonder how this stuff. Happens like where do the wires get crossed?
3: This wouldn't be the first time that this happened, yeah. and I, I can't remember dates, but I, I know there are a few other people who older singers that this happens to occasionally. It, it happened to Nikolai Gaddai, that's think. that's exactly, yeah. and that was maybe a, a year cup, ago, yeah. Mm-hmm, where everyone starts like someone says that he's dead, and then it just starts virally spreading around our you know tight knit music community, yeah. and then somebody has to go,
0: Nah, bro, he's cool. I'm also tickled that it was the wife. Who was like, trust me, he's just fine. I was like, whoa, Dimitri, man, you still got it, baby? Oh, he is, he is handsome. and he's, such a good singer. He's a baller, Silver mm-hmm. Fox. Yeah. He really is. That's where. Well, I mean, in, in all seriousness, no, the man is the man is ill. So it's it's good that he's still rocking it. Hey, um, here's a crazy horror story. Anna Trebko was supposed to sing at um, the Bavarian State Opera next July. And she cannot do it now because her services are required for the World Cup in Russia. Oh, my. So she's pulled out of the show at the Bavarian State Opera. I'm trying to remember what show it was Uh, Tosca. Thank you. And uh, now it's clear that, like, basically Putin has said, Look, we need you to sing some opening ceremony. I mean, clearly she's not playing soccer Mm -hmm. for them. You know, I mean, she may be like round, but still. And so it's just that makes me kind of creeped out that he could just be like, I know you're supposed to do this, this show, this thing, but you got to come back to the motherland and, and sing. It feels like some wires got crossed there. They didn't they didn't quite schedule that out.
3: Well, it is FIFA. So, you know, they're embezzling money from someone to give to her. So she's going to be just fine.
0: Opera box score. W and eighty nine point three FM. Let's get some more spooky opera music going. Mathin, we are going to. uh, We're going to start with you? Yes, we'll go back to you.
3: Yeah, you know, we've done a couple of pieces of music that are very unsettling because of their tonalities and because of the way the music actually sounds. Some of my favorite spooky writing, scary, intense writing, comes in the form of something that is even more beautiful, yet slightly sinister, like in Mozart's Don Giovanni. So, this is a small snippet from the very beginning of the opera after Don Giovanni has uh, won a duel against the Commendatore, stabs him, and as he's dying, Don Giovanni, the Commendatore, and Leporello sing this very unsettling, yet also beautiful and sensuous trio.
0: Nice choice, buddy. I mean, when you think of Don Giovanni, obviously you think of the Commendatori's famous notes, but uh, that's an unpredictable choice, I think.
3: I love that music so much. It's so alluringly beautiful. Yet you do have the uns- the unsettling uh metric uh system. You have 6/8 whereas some of the gentlemen at different times are singing in a duple meter against, which is slightly unsettling. But like all of Mozart's music, regardless of what emotion he's showing, there is always this underlying beauty that almost makes it seem scarier. Totally. It's it's complex
0: and it's spooky and rhythmically complex, harmonically complex. Uh hey, Matt Cummings, over to you. What's what's your second spooky music choice?
2: So I think that a lot of what a lot of opera in English has a head start in terms of the spookiness because it can it, it even if the words themselves aren't spooky, the audience understands them right away. And so Britain is the master of this, but also some American composers like John Adams uh, who composed an opera, Dr. Atomic, that was about the Manhattan Project. And he repurposed a uh, sonnet by John Donne, Batter My Heart, and gave it to uh, Robert Oppenheimer to sing at the end of Act One, just as he is in the midst of creating the atomic bomb and becoming death destroyer of worlds. And so for the audience to have that historical knowledge about what these words apply to even though they are not what they were written about at all that sort of that subtext and is definitely composed right into the music and i think we'll hear that in the clip
1: That's
0: a great choice. Man, that music at the beginning, so rhythmic, so clean. The dynamics, too. That clip was Gerald Finley.
2: Yes, from singing. the uh, Nederlandsche opera.
0: Okay, right. Yes, exactly.
2: And the the contrast in that clip is what really astounds me between the explosions and the bombast and all of that that's going on literally as they're testing bombs and also figuratively within him as he's dealing with the ramifications of what he's doing. And then it just cuts out and it turns into a dirge and a drone underneath him. And you get these words that were written centuries ago, but still apply so directly to what's going on. It's very striking.
0: Mathen, did you see the production at Lyric? of dr atomic like the original no i I have never seen this live that was before i was here in chicago
3: but i remember when it when it came out and gerald finley originated the role and he's he's a baritone that i i adore and hold very close to my heart he's very sensitive with the way that he sings while still having a depth of power and seriousness and gravitas that comes
0: uh would you say that that piece has kind of entered the repertoire now at this point,
3: I would say it has. I sing this aria in auditions. All right. it's something that I take out um, because people know it. It is uh, any pianist who has ever had to play this for me in an audition. I apologize because we all know how difficult it is. But I, I think you're right. You know, John Adams really has entered our um, the, the main canon of what we do now because of the exactly that the rhythmic security and the way that he plays with those things to give gravitas to feelings and this being able to inhabit Habit, this kind of poetry already has a stark seriousness to it and when you have the connection
2: with the uh, with the uh, real life happenings it's pretty pretty terrifying and I know Metzos who sing the Am I in Your Light monologue as well which so is so good. touching and similar set of problems that presented in terms of it's a counting nightmare mm-hmm. honestly you skip a beat and you're dead you'll never get back on it... but such gorgeous <laughs> art yeah, yeah worth definitely worth the work
0: uh, hey, we got time for one more music clip in this segment. I'm going to pick one, or rather, I'll give you guys a choice because I'm, I'm totally torn here. We talked about both these clips before the show. Uh, the first one is the opening of Zalame, which, if you read this brilliant book, Alex Ross's book, the rest is noise. Love that uh, Mathen's book. giggling yeah. here, Cummings is giggling here. You got too. a studio full of nerds. Yeah, you well, say? the book is brilliant because it, it's about the history of 20th century music, and it, and the premise is. I hope I'm getting this right, is that Zalame kind of changed everything.
3: Not just Zalame, but the B-flat scale in the clarinet line yeah. is what go. shattered tonality and allowed us to move beyond romantic harmonies.
0: So we can listen to the opening of Zalame, or, and we talked about this show too, it's Votsek
2: by Bear.
3: Votsek, Votsek, Votsek. What
0: are you, you going to...
2: I was going to vote for Zalame, but <laughs> right. if I'm being overruled...
0: Well, what's what's more Halloweeny? It's it's tricky. I mean, the stories are so strange.
2: You know, what? let's let's go with Voltec because okay. Zalame was definitely sounded shocking at the time. I think that after we've listened to <laughs> Britain and Adams, it might not Get have it. quite as Get much it. of an effect <laughs> anymore. <laughs> All right, good
0: good point. All right, let's check out a little bit of the Voltec clip.
2: Langsam, fortzig, langsam. Eins nach dem anderen. Herr, macht mir ganz schwindlig. Was soll ich denn mit den zehn Minuten
3: anfangen,
2: die er heute früh fertig wird? Wozek, bedenkt er, er hat noch seine schönen 30 Jahre zu leben. 30 Jahre, Nacht 360 Monate und etliche Tage, Stunden, Minuten. Was wird denn mit der ungeheuren Zeit all anfangen?
1: Heile er sich ein Bozek. jawohl, Herr Hauptmann.
0: Jawohl, Herr Hauptmann. Ooh. Oh, my God. Do you know who that singer is? That is Eberhard Wester mm-hmm. with the Vienna Philharmonic, conducted by Christoph
3: von Donanyi. So many people who sing Hauptmann, that's very, very difficult music. Talk about a counting nightmare and a tessitura yeah. problem, and he makes it sound so easy and beautiful.
2: i I did see this one when it was at Lyric two or three years vir- ago, and yeah. I just... Oh, I felt so dirty mm-hmm. all over. And that's exactly what it was supposed to do. So I was really I it was a really satisfying experience in a way that you oh, you just felt like you needed to go take a shower after you got out of that opera. And
0: that that oof. is the way that the show should make you feel. I, I saw it at Lyric, but I also saw another production on videotape. It was directed by Calixto Bieto. Oh,
3: Your favorite. Man. My
0: my favorite director of all time. And uh, again, just seen it on DVD. What I will never, ever forget is the way he casts and conceptualizes the child of Votsek and Marie. And he plays it. It's a young boy whose head is shaved. He looks like he has cancer. And he spends the entire show in a wheelchair with a plastic ventilator mask over his face.
3: That just makes me feel icky right now. It's
0: so shocking. Ugh. It's so shocking. I can't tell you. I will. I cannot forget that image. And at the end of the play, excuse me, the end of the opera, when that child is being tortured and abused by these other kids in the playground, like you want to throw up in your handbag. It's mm. it's amazing, amazing work by that man. He knows how to do it. Hey, it's opera box score. It's our Halloween spooktacular. After the break, we've got some more horror stories from our careers. We've got some more music to listen to as well. Stick around, WNUR and 89.3 FM.
1: Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this.
0: Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Give me sixty more seconds of your time so I can share a secret with you. When I tell people about Opera Box Score, they always ask, "How come we're a live talk radio show, not just a podcast?" The answer: We want to give listeners like you the chance to call into our show and have your opinion heard live on air. It's easy. Stream our show live on wnur.org slash pop-up on Mondays at 9 p.m. Central Time. Then, give us a call during the broadcast with your take on what we're talking about. The number? 847-866-WNUR. Wait, do people even have letters on their phones anymore? 847-866-9687. Talk to you later.
1: This is Opera Box Score. With George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, and oh yeah, Matt Cummings. And all the way from down south, Math and Black.
0: That's the show, all right. Opera Box score, WNUR 89.3 FM. George Cedarquist here hosting tonight. Oliver is a busy bee. He's taking this show off. He's going to be back next week. Oh, it's going to be a full plate. I'll let you know about that. At the end of our show tonight, I'm hanging out with co-host Matt Cummings. And guest host, Math and Black.
3: Always a pleasure, George.
0: So uh, it's over to you, sir, with your horror story from your career.
3: I have been very lucky throughout my career not to have lots of missteps or large things happen that can be terrifying on stage. But the very first show that I ever did in Chicago, one of the most dangerous things I have ever been a part of happened. And it's, it's nice that we're here on the Northwestern campus uh, because one of Northwestern's most famous and best tenors to be running around these days, a uh, good friend of ours, Zeeshan Bagwadi, is the centerpiece of this story. <laughs> Zeeshan's an amazing guy. He actually has a, a band. and He's playing all over the country now. Uh, he was just on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Like, he's really making a gig of it. Wow. I cannot for the life of me remember the band's name, and it makes me feel terrible. But go go uh, look on YouTube for Zeeshan, and you'll see the stuff that he's doing. Great, great guy and a political actor. Activist as well. But we were doing a production of The Magic Flute that was directed uh, by Michael Gioletta at Chicago Opera Theater. And one of the things that was uh, sort of the, the hallmark of the visual style of this show was that there were different characters who were a part of Zoroastro's church that had glass bowls filled with water that then had glow sticks in them. So it had this sort of like glowing orb that we would carry around. And there's a scene where they do uh, an initiation of new acolytes into the church in which Zeeshan and Megan Rose Williams were bathed and there was like this whole ceremony <laughs> while they were holding these balls. So I think maybe the third night of the show, Zeeshan is over on the side in his tiny shorts holding his glass ball and right as we're waiting to go in, you hear thunk, crash, oh! It turns out (laughs) Zeeshan had dropped the glass ball. It had shattered. A large piece of glass had bounced up off of the floor, hit him in the neck and <laughs> stabbed him through one of the veins there. Oh. That's all we hear. Stagehands are running over to me. People are taking care of him on the other side. They take my clothes off. They put me in his shorts, shove me on stage, so I take his place. I do the initiation scene and then walk off getting ready to do the entrance. And all along the the Harris, the white walls of the Harris Performing Arts Center is just bloody handprints, drips of blood all the way down the hallway. Oh. Luckily, Zishan was Fine, he was actually back the next day and everything was all right. But we were so worried for hours. They had rushed him to the hospital, got him stitched up and taken care of. But the bloody mess in the backstage of the Harris was absolutely terrifying.
0: Ouch, 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 ouch. Hey, is the band called um, Zishan and the Transistors? Yes, it is. I just just found the the website here. Um, This is pretty
3: cool. Oh, he's great. Wow. It's sort of like a mixture of um, hip-hop and yeah. R&B yeah. and pop-rock, yeah. uh, but also tradi- traditional Indian instrumentation and folk songs as well. He's a real killer and has a great voice.
0: Oh, blood in the halls of the Harris Theater. Yeah. That's nasty.
2: Sounds like a, an idea for set design for an extra. Exactly. There you go, a new magic flute.
0: L- let me ask you guys a question. What is one of like the nightmares for the tenor or the nightmare for the baritone if you had to generalize you know like what's what's that nightmare for you and, and maybe it's the same thing or maybe it's different because you're different vo- voice types but is it like losing your voice before you go on stage or the week before you go on stage or is it not being prepared for rehearsal or like what what haunts you what haunts your dreams
3: I will tell you I have actual so uh like um Stress dreams okay. about being forced on stage as a replacement when I have not learned the score. Okay. I have lots of these okay. where they're like, oh yeah, you know, Note di Figaro, don't you? Go. And then James Levine is conducting, gives the downbeat, <laughs> and then takes me into his office afterwards and says, your career is over. I'm sorry. It, it, that literally happens to me.
0: He beats you with a paddle. Yep what's, what's d- your nightmare definitely coming? had
2: some stress dreams before too <laughs> often about recitals that they that it was you know something that i had never programmed before or seen before and a voice teacher from 10 years ago was like oh you you were supposed to know this by today and now you're not going to graduate uh i've got to say i don't think there's a tenor out there who doesn't worry about cracking <laughs> and if they tell you they don't they are lying they're a dirty liar because it is a high ri- high risk mm-hmm. high reward kind of voice type i don't really worry a lot about te-
3: technical stuff anymore but every time i'm waiting in the wings to go on stage i go "Muffin, you know this opera stop worrying you know this opera
0: oh my god all right the director's stress dream stress nightmare is moving in slow motion so like you're in the rehearsal and your brain is moving in real time and you're like okay so we have like 3 hours to stage the opening of act 2 of of La Bohème which is the one of the most complicated things in the rep but everyone else Is moving (laughs) like this. And you're like, come on, people. We have three hours. We really, really can. You've got to start moving faster. And it's like, don't
2: worry. That one seems like it's maybe drawn more from reality than (laughs) Yes, absolutely.
0: (laughs) Hey, let's listen to some more spooky music. It is Cummings' turn. Final clip. Matt, what's on your play for some spooky Halloween opera?
2: I like a good old fashioned ghost story. Mm. In addition to my political dramas and, uh, you know, postmodern looks back at American history. So this is from uh, Tchaikovsky's big, arguably arguably his biggest opera, which is, mm. uh, in terms of scale, "Queen of Spades," and that is in it's about Russian royalty, and there's a uh, a young soldier who falls in love with a the ward of an old countess. And in order to win her over, he's convinced that he needs to get the old countess's secret to winning at gambling. So he breaks into her room, scares her to death, trying to get the secret from her. And then in this scene that we're about to listen to, her ghost comes back while he is hallucinating her funeral procession to tell him the secret.
3: Yeah.
2: Wow. And that was uh, Plaza do Domingo Mm. and just the... First couple words from Elizabeth Söderström with Thank you uh, Valery Gergiev conducting from the Met in the late nineties. Can't remember the exact year.
3: The Russians really know how to do high tension writing for the voice. They do such a good job of showing that sort of like excited, sort of worried, anxious kind of thing. And Gergiev is a master of handling all of that with the different Tempi that happen. I think it's beautiful writing.
2: There's the Tempi, and what really strikes me about that clip is the way that Tchaikovsky uses timbre Mm -hmm. to be creepy. High notes can be creepy, low notes can be creepy, flutes, bassoons, cellos, choirs, you name it. He can make it creepy.
0: (laughs) It's a great show. Uh, It's not done in this country. It is a
2: sing and a half Mm -hmm. for just about every character involved.
0: Yeah, yeah. it is a big, it is a big. I I mean, when is the last time you can think of it being done in in the U.S., actually?
2: I think they did it about ten years ago. Where with at the, at the Met with Ben Heppner, maybe maybe uh, as as germon and I but a, a lot of times I feel like they do it when uh, there's a big uh, uh, an old singer wants to go out on a note. Mm-hmm. It was Regina Resnick's re- retirement role, Lainey Rezenek, Elizabeth Surdestrom. It's a kind of it's a big farewell to. Farewell to the career, because she gets a big scene where she looks back at the glory days of her youth and then gets to uh, crawl out of the floor and haunt the tenor. So what more could you want in a role? like a terrifying rosen cavalier yeah.
0: thank you, uh, math and black. we got time for your final. Spooky
3: Halloween music choice. Oh, thank you so much. This piece is wonderful. This is one of my new favorite uh, listening things these days. This is from an opera that hasn't had its actual premiere yet. There's been a recording on the Noxos label, but I think it's slated to premiere next year. It's one of Jake Heggie's new operas that he's written in collaboration with Gene Shear called Out of Darkness. And this opera has uh, two different characters, which we focus on um, writings from Holocaust survivors. And in this scene that we're going to listen to right now, two men have snuck out of one of the concentration camps and are spending a night together in the forest trying to not be caught by the Nazis. The instrumentation for this is very small. There's six pieces in the orchestra, one of which is a piano. And if you listen closely, you'll see the way that Jake Heggie creates more tension by having the piano mimic sounds of trains going by while people are trying to hide.
1: Every star had a name. Every one was a night. What is that I hear of? A train is passing by.
3: Another star has vanished, stolen from the sky.
0: Fantastic. Wow. And that I mean, this is like the premiere is in April of next year, so we are really getting something very,
3: very new. And the truly terrifying thing about this music is that not only is it based in reality, the the this specific story was based off of a, a man's journals uh, that were found. Um and one one of the men survives, one of them does not.
2: I, I love the way the music uses uh contrast and context to make to make things spooky, even when it is so sweet and tender, you know that it's not gonna be that way for long, and that foreboding sense can just overwhelm you, especially after that big dramatic outburst like that too. Mm-hmm. There's so
0: many other good Halloween choices out there, of course. What were some of the other things we were discussing? Uh, Turner the Screw, Benjamin Spooky Britton, Ghosts, some seriously spooky ghosts. Trying to think what else, oh Sweeney Todd we were talking about is a, that's a great Halloween. Show.
2: We got Tales of Hoffman. That's basically old fashioned ghost stories. Yes, that's,
0: that is good.
2: Every opera Britain ever wrote. Yeah, basically. <laughs>
0: Pretty much.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: All of the weird German stuff, Der Vampir. There's, there's a lot of oh, really creepy stuff out yes, there. Yes, by
0: Marshner, mm-hmm. right? I bet you didn't know that, Matt Cummings.
2: Yeah, I don't know if I could have pulled it, but now that you say it, I know that it's right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let's
1: wrap this show up. Good call,
2: bad call.
0: On Opera Box Score. I love teasing Cummings because he's so good at what he does.
3: You're a great addition to this show, Matt. It's, it's a pleasure like, to listen to it you. It was
2: a pleasure to get to host with you too.
0: <laughs> you gotta, you gotta look for the the little chink in the armor with Cummings, and when you <laughs> see it, you gotta strike fast. <laughs> oh my goodness! I'll take it.
2: Happy Halloween, boys. Happy Halloween to you too, I. I hope you have fun out with the with the kiddos tomorrow. Oh, it'll be
0: great. It'll be great. Um, what's your favorite Halloween candy, Mathen? Kit
2: Kats, hands down. Boom. Didn't have to think about that. Cummings. Yeah, can't complain about a Kit Kat, but for me, it's all about a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup.
3: Oh, what about the Heath Bar? Nope, you're wrong.
2: I, I don't mind the Heath Bar, but it can't... It's it's not a Reese's, so. Toffee is for losers. I It's I, butter. I mean, come
0: on. It's interesting you say that, though, because I used to love Butterfinger, and then I totally overdosed on them one mm-hmm. Halloween, and like...
2: That's always one you know. Of you know that night today, when
0: right? you drink too many margaritas and you can't drink them anymore. Yep. yep. So, okay. I rest my kids. <laughs> We're musicians. George. Uh, hey, anybody got a good call or a bad call this week besides I myself? Do. All right. Take I it have
3: a good call and a bad call all, all right. wrapped up into one. This will most likely be my last time ghosting or uh, guesting here on Opera Box Score because my wife and I are moving to New York City at the end of the month. It has been an absolute pleasure getting to spend time with you, George, getting to do this and enjoy your wonderful show, and I'm going to miss you guys a lot.
0: I always need a little bit of uh, crazy math in my life. <laughs> That's all I'll say about that, buddy. We wish you best of luck. all the best to you and your lady for the next part of the adventure. Matt Cummings, good call, bad call?
2: Uh, good, I, I'm going to say good call, anticipation call. I'm looking forward to seeing what Valcura looks like next this week, right? It opens this week.
3: November 3rd it opens. This show is amazing. I've been in rehearsals at The Lyric uh, doing their Lyric Unlimited Outreach program with Scorpion Sting and I have waited for the bathroom Lynn line of the bathroom with Christine Gerke two times. She sounds you were both, so good.
0: You guys are both waiting
3: for the men's room? That's Unisex strange. bathrooms at The Lyric. They're very progressive. She is the best.
2: Yep. Just the best person. I love her interview presence. I love her voice. I love everything. It's great.
3: She's so good and even if she just walks on stage, stay. Stands there and sings, it's going to be the best show, but you know it's going to be better than that.
0: Good calls from me, too. Happy birthday to two very inspiring German-speaking directors. August Everding was born in 1928 on Halloween. And also Max Reinhardt, who is Austrian, famous director, designer, conceptualist as well. That's it for this week's edition of America's Talk radio show about opera the general manager at WNUR is Nick Anderson. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts. On Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score, and you can leave a review when you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For co-host Matt Cummings and our guest Mathen Black, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera with your mouth full of M and M's. We're back next Monday at 9 p.m. Central with a massive hometown team and Monday evening quarterback doubleheader. Oliver returns with reviews of Monati's The Consul, Wagner's Die Valkyra, and Mozart's The Marriage of Figaro. Join us. The Rosebud Show is up next. This is WNUR-FM, Evanston, Chicago. Chicago sound experiment. <laughs>